political bullshit. The Republicans are still defending their decision to confirm a justice just weeks before an election. Joe Biden's still dodging the question on court packing. Both sides are accusing the other of politicizing the Supreme Court for personal gain. And with the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings basically wrapped up, we've gotten very little out of it, safe to say. She basically refused to take a stance on nearly every question that she was asked, citing the ethics behind discussing hypotheticals and political issues. So let's look at how to answer some of these questions on the Supreme Court issues of today. Is it truly wrong for the Republicans to be filling this vacancy when they have control of both the White House and the Senate? Should Joe Biden answer about packing the courts? What is that risk if Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed anyway? What do her personal and religious beliefs have to do with anything? So let's start with the first one. Is it truly wrong for the Republicans to be filling this vacancy? Because after all, they do have control of both the White House and the Senate. Compare that to 2016 when Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland, the Democrats didn't have control of the Senate. And of course, it takes both branches to confirm a justice. So what's the problem here? So now there is a valid point in this argument. It does take both the president nominating and the Senate confirming to fill a seat. So because of this, if the two are split as it was in 2016, Republican Senate, Democratic executive branch, the president will often nominate a judge that appeals enough to both parties knowing that he'll need that support in order to fill the seat. So the problem with this argument that the Republicans now have control of both branches in a way that the Democrats did not in 2016 is that this implies that the process was allowed to play out in 2016 and that the Senate simply failed to vote or confirm Merrick Garland. This, of course, isn't true at all. Barack Obama knew he would need the support of the Senate, which was Republican majority, that's why he chose Merrick Garland as it was a compromise. Garland was a centrist. He was liberal in some ways, very conservative in others. Like when it came to criminal justice, a lot of people have said he may have been more conservative than Justice Scalia, who he was replacing, and he was possibly the most conservative justice on the court prior to his death. So Obama picked Merrick Garland believing he would be a judge that senators on both sides of the aisle could support after they had a chance to thoroughly question and vet him. The problem is they never got the chance to even vote for him. Mitch McConnell took it upon himself as Senate Majority Leader to block the entire process and not allow the hearings, not allow the questioning, not allow the Senate to even vote on confirming him. This is why the argument is not valid. It has nothing to do with the constitutional process of picking another justice. And that's because that's, that's what they're citing right now is the process. If it was simply the process that blocked Obama, then their argument for confirming Amy Coney Barrett right now would make total sense. There'd be no problem with it, no issues. But it wasn't the process that blocked Obama. It was essentially a loophole that Mitch McConnell exploited as scheduler of the Senate in order to get around the entire process, in order to get around the Constitution. He basically spit on the Constitution. He said, we're not going to listen to that piece of paper because that's not what I want. What I want is more important than the Constitution that frames our governmental process. And he got away with that in 2016 by citing the tradition that we're talking about, that we don't confirm a judge during an election year. And Obama's nomination was far too close to the election. It was, it was eight months out. That's way too close. So that was the excuse he used to put an end to the process. And Mitch did this because had he allowed it to play out, there was a chance that Merrick Garland would have been confirmed. Because again, it was a compromise that Barack Obama made by choosing Merrick Garland. So it wasn't this process of picking and, and confirming a, or a 
confirming a justice that was the issue in 2016. It had nothing to do with it. It was the precedent of timing that stopped it. But now four years later, they're just trying to rewrite history and tell us that Garland didn't fill the seat in 2016 because of the process, because the executive and legislative branches were split. And now that the constitutional process takes precedence over the tradition in a way that it wasn't even allowed to in 2016. If they had allowed the hearings and the vote and Garland was voted down, wouldn't be an issue. That's how it's that's that's how it was meant to happen. But you didn't allow to hold for the hearings. You didn't allow for questioning. You didn't allow for vetting. You didn't allow the 100 senators that we, the people, elect in to be our voice to decide for themselves if they want to confirm him. Instead, Mitch McConnell acted like a king and just made the entire decision for himself. That's not Mitch McConnell's decision. That's not the process that they're talking about right now. You can't support the Constitution and support what the Republicans did in 2016 and are now doing in 2020. It's blatant hypocrisy. It's undemocratic. And it's going to alter the Supreme Court for decades. All because of that turtle from Kentucky who thought his voice was more important than the voice of the American people. To be clear, I understand that them confirming Amy Coney Barrett right now is, isn't technically unconstitutional in any way. It's because of how they blocked the entire process in 2016. Not because they didn't confirm him. That would have been totally fine. It's because they blocked it. It was undemocratic, and that makes it wrong. And that gives us a right to be pissed, and that gives us a right to do what we can to stop it or correct that wrong. And don't listen to people who tell you it's pointless to have these conversations about the ethics behind those decisions just because it's not technically unconstitutional or illegal. You know, just because it was a loophole and 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 they were able to legally get away with it, at least every way I'm aware of, that doesn't mean that the ethics and morals behind the people making these decisions shouldn't be discussed or acknowledged. They 100% should be discussed. As we the people, that's what we should be discussing exactly what we should all be talking about because we need to make sure people like that aren't voted into our government anymore. So we have to acknowledge it. A lot of people deflect these points by giving the on-paper argument, but that's just another perspective. It's a different one. It doesn't negate the more abstract perspective of ethics and morals. Those are two different conversations to have. One doesn't negate the other. And the other thing to consider about the way that they're rushing through this confirmation is the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic that's killed over 220,000 people and an economic crisis that's devastating the entire country. And filling this vacancy is in no way more important than taking care of any of those issues right now. They should not be spending time rushing this through when people are desperate for relief that they've needed for months now. I mean, it's been five months since the Democrats passed the HEROES Act that was going to provide additional adequate stimulus and for months, the Republicans refused to even acknowledge it. Mitch McConnell basically threw it in the garbage. Trump called it semi-irrelevant. Negotiations are going nowhere because you have Trump calling it off, then saying it's back on, then saying go big or go home, but then saying the Democrats' bill is too big. You know, get this shit figured out. That needs to happen right now. If you worked half as hard at pushing through another bill as you are at pushing through Amy Coney Barrett, then our country might not be in tatters right now. So number two. Should Joe Biden answer about court packing? So given what I just said, that blocking the entire process of nominating a new justice in 2016 because it was eight months before an election and now moving to confirm Amy Coney Barrett just weeks before an election is truly undemocratic and essentially spitting on the Constitution, there's a lot of talk about what we can do to correct this. 
And if Joe Biden is elected in, what options do we have? Especially if the Democrats also take control of the Senate. Because a 6-3 conservative majority is going to alter things dramatically for decades. So we have to look at these options. So one way that we could easily correct this, the one being talked about the most, is to pack the courts. Essentially just adding justices instead of replacing justices. There's nothing in the Constitution specifying a set number of justices that are in the Supreme Court. So if we have the means to, technically, we could just add more if we wanted to. Instead of having nine, we could have 11 or 13. So this has been the biggest talk around Joe Biden when it comes to the Supreme Court. And he's basically just been refusing to answer with a clear yes or no on whether or not he would pack the courts. And that's taking a lot of heat from the Republicans. Not as much heat as if he did answer it, though. So... Um, basically the, the attacks on Joe Biden for that he's being called dishonest, not being transparent. The American people deserve an answer. So why isn't he answering the question and should he answer the question? So it's not as black and white as it seems. He has actually given a pretty thorough explanation of why he's not answering, which itself is an answer. So part of this is strategy and part of it is simply just refusing to commit to an answer while the ball is still in their court. He's saying, I'm not going to commit one way or the other until I see how they handle it first. Personally, I think it's much more about the political strategy than it is about him still assessing the situation. And strategy-wise, it's not a bad strategy. I think it makes actually quite a bit of sense. As he said, whatever I say then becomes the issue. And that's very important when you think about it. The insistence for him to answer this question is just a Republican strategy to deflect from the unethical way that they're pushing through Amy Coney Barrett right now. If he says that he does support packing the courts, then the headlines become Biden supports altering the Supreme Court for the first time in over 150 years. And the Republicans have something that they can finally cry about. They can say, see, he's the meanie, not us. We have to confirm the aims into the court because he's going to pack them. He says yes, and it justifies everything they're doing. And as Joe said, that becomes the issue. That becomes the headline. While they're actively filling the third seat under the Trump administration because they blocked Obama's nomination for nearly a year, but it's Joe's answers on court packing. That's going to become the headline, even though that's just a response to that action. And if he says no, well, now they have no reason not to move forward. Full sail ahead. They have nothing to lose. So no matter how he answers, it just gives them a definitive reason to move forward. The only thing that doesn't give him a reason is if he just doesn't answer. Because now it's just a threat. So they have no answer to justify it. They have no answer to feel safe about it. And they have no answers to deflect from their own wrongdoings. Now, the only caveat to that is, well, what about the people that want to know? Don't the voters deserve to know what they're voting for? And of course they do. I Personally, I don't think that his answer is really going to sway too many people. I don't think there are many voters out there whose decision is ultimately hinging on his answer. Even though it is a very important topic, it'd be a huge deal if he actually did pack the courts. So people do deserve an answer. But the thing is, we can't expect a yes or no answer to that question right now. It's unfair to say that's what we're owed. As I said, the ball's in their court. And he's waiting for them to finish their move, and he'll base his decision off of that. And that's basically what he's actually been telling us. He just hasn't been clear enough about it. But that has been his answer. In his town hall, he said that he actually doesn't support, basically support the idea of packing the courts, but he's not going to totally rule it out. Again, saying it just depends on what happens. And that's a totally fine answer. 
to say that I'm not going to say, you know, a, a definitive yes or no until the full context of the circumstance that we're discussing has been fully fleshed out. But again, he's just not being clear enough in a way that can allow people to not call it or, or say he's being dishonest or he's not being transparent enough. You know, especially after they begin narrowing that question down, like, will you support it if Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed? Because a lot of people think that that would be the deciding factor in Joe's decision. But the thing is, I don't think that's the deciding factor. The way I see it, it's not necessarily the confirmation of Amy Barrett that's going to have an effect on whether or not he would pack the courts or consider it. It's what that confirmation means. I mean, we, we all know right now she's going to be confirmed. <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves. What he's saying is, we'll wait and see that after she's confirmed, we'll wait and see what happens. Let's see what that means. He's thinking about how is that balance of power going to actually play out? What's going to happen with the 6-3 court, the three of them being very conservative Trump-appointed originalists? So I think he, he's just going to keep that as a threat in his back pocket as a way to keep them in check. So if they start looking at Roe v. Wade with hungry eyes or LGBTQ issues, they overturn Obamacare, which they very possibly might. That might be one of the first things they do. That's when he might consider utilizing that option or start holding that threat in front of their faces a little bit more. So that's why he keeps saying the people need to vote and we need to hear what the people want. It's not whether or not they want her confirmed, but where they stand on the issues. If they vote for a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate, but then the Supreme Court starts blocking everything or ruling in the total opposite direction just because they squeezed that justice in, then he might start considering it. If the Supreme Court ends up not being as extreme as people are making it out to be, then it wouldn't be necessary. So a yes or no right now might be irrelevant depending on how things play out. So to answer the question of what the yes or no would not only give the Republicans this ammo to move forward and to deflect from their own shitty behavior, but it might actually be misleading to the people down the road, which makes the way that he's been answering the question without a clear yes or no the right thing to do. He's just not being clear enough about it, and, and it comes off as dis more dishonest than it actually is. All that being said, I think the chances of him actually adding justices to the court is very unlikely. It's just not the type of thing that Joe would do. It'd be a very, very radical move, and Joe's just not a very radical guy. He might keep it in his pocket as a threat, which I think he will. He might express some strong discontent, maybe write a strongly worded letter about some of their decisions if he doesn't like them, but will he ever actually do it? No, I highly doubt it. But I can almost guarantee you that if he uses just the threat of packing the courts and then the courts rule in favor of the left in any amount of decisions, whether or not his threat actually had any influence on those decisions, I can almost guarantee you that the Republicans will use that as justification to pack the courts the next time they take control, the next time that they have the means to. Because they really are just power-hungry hypocrites that will surprise you until you realize you should have seen it coming from a mile away and it's actually not surprising at all. They don't play by the rules if the rules can be broken. They're not going to play by tradition because tradition holds no real limiting power. They'll just find some weak justification. Even if they have a majority, they'll say something just totally bogus, like just the threat alone is unfairly manipulating the court's decisions. So they need to neutralize the Democrats' threat by actually stacking the courts. Just something totally, absolutely ridiculous, and it's going to reek of hypocrisy, but they already reek of hypocrisy. If you dip a turd in shit, it's not really going to change, so why wouldn't they? So that being considered, that leads me to the question of whether or not Joe should support it. Should we stoop down to their level? Personally, 
I don't think so. I don't think we should. Even though the Republicans have already tipped it heavily in their favor, and there is a chance they might end up doing it anyway themselves, if we pack the courts, it's just going to be a shorter-term solution with longer-term problems. And it's not a good idea to start down this road if we don't have to, if we can avoid it. The path looks appealing right now for the first mile or so, but beyond that first mile, it's going to get much, much uglier. We'll end up in a situation where you have presidents just adding as many judges as they need to whenever they can, and we just shouldn't be starting down this road of having no limit on the number of justices. I mean, there technically there is no limit, no legal limit, but this 150-year tradition is about as strong as it can get without actual legislation, and I just don't think that should be broken right now. Even though, as I said, there's a decent chance the Republicans might break it themselves, we just shouldn't make that a guarantee, though. If we can avoid it, we should. That would essentially destroy the balancing role of the Supreme Court. It's already degrading, but that doesn't mean we should destroy it. That'll nearly defeat the entire purpose of the Supreme Court. So instead of lifting limits, I think what we should do is impose more limits. Like instead of lifetime appointments, set term limits to blunt the severity of each appointment. This is something that a huge majority of Americans already agree with, Democrats and Republicans. Last year, there was 77% support for term limits in the Supreme Court. So now how long should it be? Right now, it's lifetime appointments. So it's got to be, can't be, you know, four years like it is for uh, president or six years for senators. So right now, the most popular number is 18 years, which is still a really long time. But when you consider that most justices serve 20 to beyond 30 years, it's, it would still have a pretty large impact narrowing that down to 18 years. I mean, we've gone, there were times when we've gone over a decade, like from 1994 to 2005, where we didn't select a single new justice. And now we have Donald Trump appointing 33% of the entire court in a span of three and a half years. And that 33% of the court will likely be there for close to 30 years. So now the argument against term limits for the Supreme Court is that if justices know that you know their term will eventually come to an end, they'll eventually have to move on with their career, they might be motivated to rule in a way that is favorable to their career choice. But the workaround for this is pretty simple. If they serve the full 18 years, or whatever the term limit is set at, just continue to pay their salary similar to how we do with the president. You know, justices receive a salary of 245000 a year. If paying a few retired justices a salary of $245,000 a year is what keeps them from being corrupted while serving on the court, it's a pretty small price to pay, especially if that allows us to move forward with term limits. And then the other change that we should make is limit the number of appointments per presidential term. So this will just help ensure that we don't have a large portion of the court determined within one small period of time by one president, especially because of how long these appointments are. Even if we enact term limits, 18 years is still a very long time. So Trump's appointed two. If we, if we put a, th a limit of two per term, Trump's appointed two. If a third vacancy comes up, like with the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, wait until after the next election. If Trump is reelected, then he can fill that vacancy and he can fill another one if another one comes up, another two per term. But if the American people decide within those four years of his term that it's just not working out, then their voice needs to be taken into consideration and the winner of the next election should choose, you know, whether it's Trump or Biden or whatever two presidents they are in the future. A losing president shouldn't be confirming one entire third of the court. They shouldn't have that opportunity. So I think we need to look at applying more limits to the court, not less.